among you is thankful that we get to praise and we get to worship the amazing, incredible name of Jesus Christ today? His name changes lives, his name changes attorneys. It has changed so much about this church and this community and the people that are here. And I am so thankful to be with you today to worship and praise with all of you together. Will you join me in prayer as we kick off this series? Father, you are incredible. You are amazing. Your name is what we want to elevate above everything else. Not ourselves, not anything we do. The only thing we want to boast about is who you are and what you've done. And Father, I'm so thankful for each and every single person that you have brought here today. I am so thankful for anybody that is joining us at all of our multi-sites, micro-sites, online campus, anybody who is present with us and with you. Because Father, I know that when people came in today, whether they're new, whether they've been here for a minute, they saw the front of that handout and they saw internal enemies and immediately their minds started moving. They might've felt something. They might've thought about an internal enemy that they have been battling for a long time, Father. And I want you to put it on their heart, on their mind, on their soul, to let them know that they are not alone today. You are always with them. You are their ally. And this church will walk beside them and help them with whatever battle they are facing. Father, I am so thankful to know that. I am so thankful to lift your name up today. It is in your name that we humbly pray. Amen. You guys ready to go? Ready to go? Are you ready to go? Online, multi-sites, micro-sites? Daggone it, let's go. We're kicking off a new series today. I'm so glad to be joining you. My name is Cody. I am the Emmanuel Church Greenwood Campus Pastor. It is an honor and a privilege to be with you. It doesn't take a lot for me to get jacked up when you got worship like that, when you've got this content. I'm so ready to talk to you guys about this. When it got pitched to me and I got to kick off the series, I was so excited because we are going to be talking about internal enemies. And I love this graph. The communication team did a great job because it's, it's kind of creepy. It's kind of spooky. You guys might have felt that vibe coming in. And maybe when you were thinking about enemies on your way in, you thought of some external enemies, some famous villains, some opposition that you have faced, things that try to take what you love or things that try to take what you want. People like Cruella de Vil, for example. She wanted to make a bunch of dogs into a coat. That's weird. You might have thought about Regina George from the movie Mean Girls. She was a terrible villain. Stop trying to make fetch happen. It's not going to happen. But what a terrible thing to say. Maybe you thought about the Wicked Witch of the West. You thought about Darth Vader. If you like comic books, you might have thought about the Joker. He's one of the most famous villains of all time. If you're a football fan like me and you're a Philadelphia Eagles fan like me, I don't know how many of you there are, probably just me. <laughs> a couple claps. Or, yes. Then your enemy is the Dallas Cowboys or the Giants. Washington doesn't really matter right now. If you are a Colts fan, who is your enemy? Patriots, Belichick, Brady, and now Antonio Brown. How disgusting. He's terrible. Ugh. And if you like Disney movies or if you got kids, there's Jafar, there's Scar. If you've seen Coco, who is it? It's Ernesto de la Cruz. He's the enemy. He's the bad guy in the film. But that's not what we're talking about today. We're not talking about a football player. We're not talking about a man in a cutoff sweatshirt. We're not talking about a Disney character. We're talking about internal enemies, things that are within us or things that creep within our heart, our soul, our gut, our mind. They manipulate us, they turn us, they grip us, they get their teeth in, they get their claws in, they don't let us go. They take us to dark places. They make us doubt, not only ourselves, but they make us doubt our relationship with God. They fracture relationships. Sometimes they sever relationships completely. They make us think things that we never wanted to think about ourselves, about others, about our Heavenly Father. 
They make us do things we never thought we would do. They make us act in ways we never wanted to act. They make us say things that we never thought we could possibly say. There are two main points I want you to roll with throughout this entire series. There are things inside of us that can do far more damage than the things outside of us. Second point, if we don't learn to handle these enemies and keep them in check, we don't get a grip on them. If we are not proactive in the way that we handle and the way that we address these enemies, then they can destroy us. They can fracture our reputation. They can harm relationships. And in some cases, like we'll talk about in a little bit, they can kill. And again, we're not talking about external factors. We're talking about things like lust. We're talking about things like anxiety. We're talking about things like insecurity. We're talking about anger. But today, public enemy number one is jealousy. We're gonna talk about jealousy today. And if you're like me, you like clear definitions so that you know exactly where your mind goes, you want a thread to follow. I appreciate that about you too. So here's the definition of jealousy that we're gonna use. It is a feeling of showing envy of someone or their achievements and their advantages. I'm envious of you. I want what you are. I want what you have. You have advantages that I don't have. I'm coveting them. I am intensely wanting these things about you or about someone else. Jealousy. Now, I'm sure that you've thought about this as you're pouring through the handout. You're looking through. You're like, I wonder what ways I'm jealous. I wonder if he's jealous. I am jealous of a lot of stuff. And for me, one thing I've always been jealous of, and I'll talk about it in a second, has been what people drive. What people drive. I don't know if you have been jealous about cars. It's, it's like a material possession trophy that's on display everywhere. I always think about it. And it started when I was in college because I don't know if you're in the same spot that I was. I'm a first-generation college student. Neither of my parents went to college, so I was kind of like the guinea pig. I was a public school kid from the Burbs, and I go to this private school because it gives me the best academic scholarship, so I get there. And these guys have more money than I do. They've had more test prep than I do. They're smarter than me. They got more money than me. They've got better cars than I do. Like, I'm not kidding. Like, I get to campus, and I'm looking, they've got, like, BMWs like a Lexus, there's like an Audi, the occasional Mercedes. I'm like, dude, you're 18. And then I think about what I drive and your boy was driving a retired brown and gold sheriff's blazer. <laughs> and when I say brown, like it was so brown. <laughs> Had a spotlight like on the left side so I could click it at people. Campus services hated when I did that. And it actually had holes in the floorboard. Had holes, multiple holes. You could stick your hand all the way through and touch the ground in my truck. And one day a bird flew up. I'm not kidding, you laugh, I'm not kidding. A bird flew up into my parked truck and it must've had a good lunch because it flew around and it relieved itself all over the interior of my truck. And I'm already having jealousy issues. I'm thinking, why can't I have the advantages these dudes have? Why can't I have the success that they're having? Why isn't my family as smart as their family? Why didn't my parents go to college? And I come out and I look inside my truck and a bird has left a crime scene and I'm parked next to a BMW and I just go, Arr! jealousy. Then I graduate and I start working as an admission counselor at a private university within the state of Indiana. I'm trying to recruit students to come to this university. I travel to different places, talk to them, help them fill out the application. And I have to visit other prep schools and private schools now as part of my job. So jealousy rears its ugly head again, only now it's different because I got a degree, I got a job, I've graduated. I should be somebody by now. I should have different things. I should not be driving a red Chevy S10 with crank windows and no AC. This shouldn't be where I'm at in life. I should be elsewhere because I visit these campuses and they got all these nice cars again. I should be somewhere different. 
I should have what you have. I've earned it. I deserve it. That's what my brain was saying. So I told myself, when I, burn, when I buy myself my first adult car, like make that first big purchase, I'm going to get something flashy. I'm not going to feel this way anymore. When people look at me, when they look at what I drive, they're going to see somebody who is a somebody. They're going to see somebody with status. They're going to think, oh man, Ryan Reynolds is at church with us today. <laughs> so now I'm going to show you what I drive in just a second. I don't want to lead other people to sin. I don't want to lead you into jealousy. I'm just going to warn you. You might have something to stir inside. I think that's normal. Why don't we show them what I'm rolling with? handsome, isn't it? <laughs> so this is my car. The wheels you can find on any common wheelbarrow at your local hardware store. The same engine that propels this vehicle is the same engine inside your push lawnmower. None of the windows are symmetrical. They all look different and orby and weird. The front of it oddly looks like the front of a beluga whale. You can Google that when you get home. And people make fun of me for it all the time. They call it a toaster. They call it a microwave. They call it an aquarium on wheels anything you can possibly think of. So if you're wondering, I wonder if he's still jealous about cars. I am. I'm jealous of what you drive. I don't even care what you drive. You could drive a dirt bike and I'd be jealous of you. So I'm still working through it. As you're thinking about what you get jealous of, maybe what you're jealous of isn't quite so comical. Say you're a student with us today. Everything's about achievement, isn't it? You got to have the best grades. You got to get into the best school. You got to have the best test scores, test prep, ACT or SAT. But maybe for you as a student, you've got to work a part-time job because your family doesn't have as much money as the family over there. You're making blizzards when you get off of school until a certain time, and then you get home, it's late, and you still got to do homework. And you're pouring yourself everything you possibly can. You're trying to get involved so you can diversify your portfolio when it comes time to apply to a college so it looks like you're a well-rounded student. But it's everything you can do to pull a C in Algebra 2. And your buddy over here, they got more money than you. They got more advantages than you do. They don't have to do a part-time job. They can work on homework all they want. Things come easy to them. They get straight A's, AP this, honors that, high ability, whatever. And you want to be happy for them because they're your buddy. They're your friend. And God tells you, I should be happy for what other people have. But instead, you're jealous. You're angry. You're bitter. Because it doesn't come as easily as it should for you. Maybe it's social skills. Maybe as a student, you're a little bit of an introvert and interacting with people is a difficult thing for you. You'd prefer to just kind of lay back, do your own thing. But you know, I've got to step out and I've got to get more comfortable talking to people as I get older for different professional opportunities and what have you. Maybe it's just talking to the opposite sex in the hallway that's difficult for you. And you see your buddies, they can roll up to any girl they want and they're like, hey, what's up? But for you, it's much more difficult. You got to stand and practice in front of a mirror. You got to say, okay, um, I, I can say this to her. I've practiced this. I, I know I can nail this part. This isn't going to be a big deal for me. I know I've got this. So when I see her in the hallway, it'll go great. And then you see her and then you walk up and she's like, hey, how are you? And you go, your face is good. I like your face. It's, it's a good face. And she goes, okay, you're yelling and this is strange. And she walks away. And you want to be glad for those people that are smooth and can communicate because it doesn't come as easy to you, but you can't because now you want what they have. You want their communication skills. You're jealous. Maybe you're a, a father. You're a man with us today, and it's about the job. It's about the promotion. You've put in the time. You've been loyal to the company. You've got the experience. You've done what you've needed to do. You've had the talk with the boss. You've gotten the firm handshake. Can't wait for you to take that next step in your professional journey here, we're so excited for you. And you're waiting, you're being patient, you're being loyal because loyalty is a trait that is lost in today's age and you know that and you've been loyal. The new guy comes in. 
new guy's young and new guy's got a degree. You didn't get a degree when you were younger. Instead, you've got experience. You don't have the degree. And he's got the connection to the boss's friend's cousin or whatever, and you don't have that connection. So he gets the promotion. He slides in where you should have gotten. And now he's got the promotion, the job, and you've got frustrations because you should have what he has. Now you can't be happy for him, this young guy trying to start a family, trying to get his feet off the ground. You can't be happy for the situation he's in because you're jealous. Maybe you're a dad at the football field and you are convinced that your son is going to be the next Andrew Luck. That's, that's not timely. That's not timely. J.J. Uh, Watt. He's going to be the next J.J. Watt. He's going to be the next Drew Brees. He's a Purdue guy. We can use that example. He's going to be the next Drew Brees. He's going to be great. Rushing titles, NFL, it's all going to happen for him. And then you look over on the ground. He's been trying to tie his cleats for 45 minutes. <laughs> he weighs 100 pounds less than each and every single person on the field. He's struggling. And then you look across the field and there's villain dad, enemy dad. He's dressed in all black, Nike, zipped to the top, hair slicked back. He looks like a villain from the Mighty Duck movies. <laughs> and his kid's had every advantage. He's been to every camp. His kid's rushing for 200 yards a game. He's amazing. He's an incredible athlete. And you want to be happy for that family and that kid. That kid didn't do anything to you. He didn't do anything to your kid. But you can't because you're envious and you're jealous because you want your kid to have what that kid has. Maybe you're a mother, you're a woman today, and you have just had a child. It's a blessing, huge blessing. And you're trying to lose that baby weight. You're trying to lose the weight after you've had the kid. And ladies, I need you to hear this. You're beautiful. You don't need to lose a single pound. You look wonderful the way that you are. But this is a real goal for people. So you want to lose the weight. So you do nothing but drink coconut water for a month. <laughs> Tastes like stuff that's been sitting in a gutter. It's awful. But you keep drinking it. You keep eating kale. You keep trying to make this happen. You keep working out. You keep doing the squats. And then after 30 days, you stand on the scale. Okay, deep breath out. And we weigh 1.4 pounds less than we did 30 days ago. And then you get on social media and you take a look at Karen. It's always Karen. <laughs> and Karen just had a kid too, only she's lost 28 pounds in two weeks. And all she does is walk 15 minutes a day. Hair flip, let's go get the latte. Maybe you're on the flip side if you're a woman with us today and you can't get pregnant. You've been trying. You've spent thousands upon thousands of dollars on fertility studies, going to visit the doctor. Maybe you've had a child, you had a miscarriage and you're suffering and it's hard and you're doing anything you can to try to have a kid. And you get on social media and it seems like all your friends are having kids. Is the cake blue? Is the confetti popper pink? Gender reveals. My family's got two big pumpkins. Writing another little pumpkin next year. Two pumpkins, the three pumpkins, pumpkins. And all you want to do inside instead of celebrate the new abundance of pumpkins in their life is smash them with a sledgehammer. Because you're angry and you can't be happy for them because they have what you want. They have the family. They have the kids. You are jealous. And we can have some fun with this. We can laugh and that's a good thing. But the thing that you need to know is that all of these feelings, all of this bitterness, this anger, these results of jealousy, they're real because jealousy is a formidable enemy. Jealousy is a formidable enemy. Andy Stanley is a pastor. He wrote this book called Enemies of the Heart, Breaking Free from the Four Emotions that Control You. Very topical given the nature of this series and jealousy. He talks about jealousy in this book. And Andy Stanley believes this. Jealousy says God owes me. God owes me. And this is a problem. Because now 
if this is the attitude that I have and that you have, God owes me, I'm holding a grudge against God. Because I don't have all these components of the abundant life that we talk about all the time that I could have. Why don't I have these things? Why aren't you hooking me up, God? Why don't I have the job? Why don't I have the financial security? Why don't I have the kids with the 4.0 and the scholarship? Why don't I have? Why don't I have? Why aren't you giving me? What are, why are you holding out on me? Because you're God. You can do anything. You can bless me with anything that you deem appropriate. But you don't. You're holding out on me. And so now there's division. Where there once was trust, now there is a gap. We're not filling that gap with trust. We're filling it with doubt. We're filling it with bitterness. We're filling it with anger. We're filling it with all of these negative things that now separate us from our Heavenly Father. Does the same thing with relationships. You can no longer be happy for other people because now when there's this gap with God, there's this gap with other people. I don't care that we've been friends. You have something that I want that I deserve. And so now I'm going to withdraw a little bit. There's space where there once was closeness, where there once was intimacy. And this should be enough, right? Like a, a gap with God, distrust with God, doubt in God, that should be enough. But I have bad news for you. It only gets worse. And this next point, I want you to star, I want you to highlight it, do whatever you got to do to remember this, because I think this is one of the key takeaways today. Jealousy, jealousy is a gateway drug. Jealousy is a gateway drug to much, much worse things. Because that's where it starts. It starts with jealousy. It creeps in and then it begins this idea machine. You start to get a little paranoid. You start to get suspicious. Things are being taken from me. Things are being withheld from me. And then that's when it leads to other harder drugs. Now I'm bitter. Now I'm angry. Now I'm vengeful. Now I'm spiteful. Now I can't be happy with people. I can't see the blessings and the joy in other people's lives. I can't forgive people, even if they don't do anything to me. How dare they have what I don't have? And Proverbs 6 talks about the dangers of adultery. And adultery is a very dangerous thing, but then it gets to the part in 34, 35, where it's talking about the woman's jealous husband. I want you to see what this gateway drug links to. So we go to it. It says, for the woman's jealous husband, this is the starting point here. We're just getting started. Jealous. The husband will be what? Furious. What's fury? It's anger. It's wrath. Often accumulating in, in violence. Culminating in violence. And he will show no mercy. Now I'm merciless. Now I can't be forgiving. When he takes revenge. Now I'm actively seeking vengeance for what should be mine, for what could have been mine, for what is no longer mine. It continues. He will accept no compensation. I don't care if you're sorry. I don't care that you didn't mean to have what I wanted. I'm not going to take any payment. I'm not going to take any apologies from you. I can't because jealousy has gotten hooks on me and I will not be satisfied with a payoff of any size. Jealousy leads you down this dark and twisted path where it just keeps progressing and progressing. It gets bigger and it boils over and it gets all over everything that surrounds us. Why? Because jealousy is hard to call out in other people because jealousy is easily hidden. Jealousy is not like other sins. It's different. It's unique. Because if you think about even the context of some other of the, the seven deadly sins, things like greed, it's easy to call out greed in somebody. They're trying to take, 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 amass, amass, get as much as I possibly can. You can see that in other people. What about sloth? Somebody's being lazy. You can call that out because they're not doing a doggone thing. You can see that. You can call them out and say, hey, you got to get going. You got to provide for your family. You're losing your job. You're losing everything. 
anger. Anger is one of the easiest things to see because it manifests itself in so many different ways. Physically, verbally, emotionally. Your body changes. You go through so many different things when you're angry. But jealousy, jealousy is different. Jealousy is patient. Jealousy is opportunistic. Jealousy will lay in wait and it will prey on you until it identifies your weak point, the thing that your deepest desire lies in. When it identifies it, it attacks it. It is a very patient sin. It's hidden. It's buried deep. And this is why it progresses to the fourth point. This is when jealousy becomes uncontrollable. Because if it buries itself so deep and it manifests itself so deep in your gut and your heart and your soul and you allow it to work and work and nobody can speak in your life and, and call you into account and tell you, hey, you're being jealous. You've got to back this down a little bit. You've got to be more grateful. That's when it becomes uncontrollable. I want you to check out this proverb with me. Proverbs 27.4. Anger is cruel. We know that. We know that. And wrath is like a flood. Your anger becomes so big and so deep that it just washes everything away. It consumes, often again resulting in violence. But jealousy is even more dangerous. Jealousy is even more dangerous. Why? It's because of this hidden nature. It's because it can become so uncontrollable. It consumes everything. It's like wrath and that it is like a flood. It is so hard to get under control if you don't address it early. I want you to do an exercise with me. I want you to close your eyes. Even if you don't normally do this, just close your daggone eyes. <laughs> so you keep them closed. I'm going to show you an image that is so sinister, that is so disturbing, that it might stick with you for a very long time. And I'm aware of this, and I apologize if this upsets you in any way, so I'm giving you a warning right now. But when I think of jealousy, this is what I think of, and I want you to remember this for the rest of your lives. And again, for some of you, it might be difficult, so you've been warned. I want you to open your eyes in three, two, one. Probably didn't expect three female figure skaters, did you? Who is this? It's Tanya Harding, right? Nancy Kerrigan. This is Christy Yamaguchi, also very successful, not very important for the purpose of today's talk. <laughs> this is Tanya Harding, and that's Nancy Kerrigan. Tanya Harding was on the top of the world in 1991. U.S. national figure skating champ, took like second in the world. She was incredible. She was a little rough around the edges, a little bit of a tomboy, a little brash, said some things that figure skating didn't necessarily like, but she at one time was the best in the world until... Her rival comes on board, Nancy Kerrigan. They're both in their early 20s, around the early 90s. And Nancy Kerrigan's everything figure skating wants somebody to be. The hair's pulled tight. She's dressed in white. She's proper. She's good. And so this starts the jealousy engine inside Tanya Harding because what's coming up in 94? Winter Olympics. Tanya Harding's been training for this since she's four years old. And so the jealousy machine starts to turn. What if she takes what I'm due? What if she takes away my fans? What if she takes away the adoration? What if, she, what if she takes away my spot on the team? I can't let this happen. She's taking everything I've worked for. I want, I want this adoration that she's getting. This should be mine. So what happens over the course of three and four years is, is scheming and plotting and this jealousy starts deep within and starts to, to spread and spread out to the ex-boyfriend, to the, to, the, to the bodyguard with the baton. And what happens in January 1994 in Detroit, Michigan? Nancy Kerrigan walks off the ice. She goes behind the curtain. And then, wham! Black baton, back of the right knee. She goes down. 
She's crying. It's all over the news. It's all over any media outlet you could find. Tanya Harding was involved in a scandal to injure and hurt Nancy Kerrigan to get her out of the way so that she could be elevated to success. What happens from here? Tanya Harding's life has changed forever. She lost control, all because of jealousy. At one point, Tanya Harding gets banned from figure skating, the very thing that she loves. She gets banned from it. They go on to both compete in the 94 Olympics. Tanya Harding takes eighth. Nancy Kerrigan takes second. And then it just gets worse for Tanya Harding. There's a sex tape scandal. She has a bizarre pro-boxing career. And now whenever you see Tanya Harding or you hear her name, she is associated with the word jealousy because she lost control of it internally. You also see this in 1 Samuel 18. Story of Saul and David. Perhaps some of you are familiar. Saul was the king. He was tall. He was handsome. He had it all. He had God's favor. But then he disobeys God multiple times and God withdraws that favor from him. And the prophet Samuel anoints David as the next king. And Saul and David, they're tight. They're fine. Everything's good between the two of them. David kills Goliath. You've heard the story. So David and the army are coming back and there's a big celebration. These women, all of these Jewish women from all these different tribes rush out to meet Saul. And they're going to sing the praise. They're going to sing these songs. And this is where jealousy creeps in between Saul and David. Because what was the song that the women were singing? This was their song. Saul has killed his thousands and David his ten thousands. That's not good. That's not good at all. Because now we're starting to compare. Here's what happens next. This made Saul very angry. What's this, he said? They credit David with 10,000s and me with only thousands. Next, they'll be making him their king. So from that time on, Saul kept a jealous eye on David. The very next day, a tormenting spirit from God overwhelmed Saul and he began to rave in his house like a madman. So now he's starting to lose his mind. He's starting to lose his grip. Jealousy creeps in. It's already got him. Now it's just spreading. David was playing the harp as he did each day to try to calm the tormenting spirit. But Saul had a spear in his hand and suddenly he chucks it at David. He's trying to kill him. He's trying to hurt him. He's trying to pin him to the wall. But David escaped him twice. Saul was then afraid of David for the Lord was with David and had turned away from Saul. So what do we see? His descent into madness, anger, attempted murder. Now he's fearing David because he's lost favor with God. This should be enough of an example, but it doesn't end here for Saul because it culminates in a battle between the Israelites and the Philistines. And Saul is about to be overrun. He's about to be overtaken. And this is what happens. Saul groaned to his armor bearer, take your sword and kill me, kill me before these pagan Philistines come to run me through and taunt and torture me. But his armor bearer was afraid and would not do it. So Saul took his own sword and he fell on it takes his own life, dies by suicide. When his armor bearer realized that Saul was dead, he fell on his own sword and died beside the king. So Saul, his three sons, his armor bearer, and his troops all died together that day. Saul not only lost his own life, he lost the most precious gift. He took his own life, the most precious thing God can give us. He caused other people to lose their lives as well. Saul and Tanya Harding both lost the very things they coveted, the very things they wanted to protect more than anything, all because they couldn't keep their jealousy in check. It became uncontrollable. They lost everything because of jealousy. What I hope you realize today 
is that this internal enemy, among others, are not things that we can handle passively. We cannot sit idly by and let these internal enemies creep in to our psyche, our mind, our soul, our gut, our heart, and cause division between us and God. We cannot allow this to happen. We have to go on the offensive. We have to attack these different things. But how do we do that? How do we attack jealousy? How do we think about these things differently? How do we eradicate this from our lives? Three ways for you today. The first is you need to be careful what you wish for. You need to take a step back, take a different perspective, and you need to be careful what you wish for. There's a really great quote by Jim Carrey that I want to share with you today. He said, I think everybody should get rich and famous and do everything they ever dreamed of so that they can see it's not the answer. Why is it not the answer? Because the boat, the car, the success, the fame, the thing, that's not really what's causing the void inside of you. Because you get the thing, you get the status, you get the car, and then what? Is your life magically better? Are all of your problems solved? No, they're not. They're not solved. Because that's not ultimately what you are made to crave. You're not made to seek these things out. And you have to ask yourself as well, what do you have to pay to get what you want? What is the cost? So you get the job, what are you sacrificing? Are you sacrificing time with your family relationships? The money? If you get famous, are you sacrificing privacy? I don't know how many of you follow The Rock on Instagram. I do. And he made a post the other day that I thought was, was interesting and I thought it was pretty cool, but I also felt kind of bad for the guy because it was a post of, it was a picture of him and his new wife and they're eating on their honeymoon and they're just having a meal in a restaurant. I was like, cool, good for you. But then you read the caption. The Rock has not been able to do this in close to two decades. 20 years without having a meal in public with someone he cares about. Imagine that. The restaurant had to shut down in order to accommodate him because of his fame. So I ask you, do you think that there's ever a time when somebody like The Rock, somebody that famous, is jealous or covets the things that you and I take for granted? The ability to go to a Mexican restaurant and have chips and queso with our family whenever we want. The ability to go to a ball dime and watch our children play without being mobbed for autographs and, and pictures for hours and hours and hours. Are you thinking about jealousy that way or are you thinking about it from the context of what you covet and what I covet? In Ecclesiastes it says this, then I observed that most people are motivated to success because they envy their neighbors. But this too is meaningless. It's like chasing the wind. It's shadows and dust. Why is it shadows and dust? Blaise Pascal had this figured out. I love this quote, and I think it applies directly to what we're saying. There is a God-shaped vacuum, a void, a hole in the heart of every man which cannot be filled by any created thing but only by God. The things that you're jealous of, the things that you're coveting will not fill that hole. The presence, the peace, the grace, the forgiveness, and the relationship with Christ is what you seek. You and I both need to rest in that. We need to understand it. We need to make it very personal. Second point, you need to trust God for what you need. Trust in God for what you need. I want to share a verse with you. If you are faithful in little things, little things, 
you will be faithful in large ones. Probably heard this verse before. But if you are dishonest in little things, you won't be honest with greater responsibilities. You've got to trust God in the times. You've got to trust God with what he is giving you right now. Because he may not think that you're ready for the thing that you covet. Example for you. When I was in high school, I was given a cell phone very, very, very late in the game. Very late. Much to my displeasure. Because my parents didn't think I was ready for one yet. When I got a phone, we didn't have touchscreen phones or iPhones at the time. Like the cool phone at the time was the Motorola Razor, the flip phone. That was the, the it thing. And so when I finally got my phone, I didn't get that phone. I got a pay-as-you-go brick phone. Cost a dime every time I sent a text. So if I load that bad boy with five bucks, your text better be worth it because I don't have many to burn. My phone was plastic. It creaked when it moved. It had an antenna that I had to pull out. It was purple. My phone was purple, sparkly purple. And a company called Virgin Mobile made my phone. So what do you think it said in big red and white letters on the outside of the phone? It said Virgin. High school kids are cruel. That didn't go well for me. But it's what my mom and dad thought I could handle. So I finally beg and I whine and I get the flip phone. What happens? I slam it in my car door and I break it. I wasn't ready. They gave me what I thought I could handle and I wasn't ready for the responsibility. In much the same way, we need to trust God with what he is giving us right now. Because sometimes the very things that we cover are things that we're not quite ready for yet. Last point, and this is the big application point, I think, for you and I. Got to be grateful. Need to be grateful. And I know a lot of times when we talk about gratitude, it's inward. I want to be grateful for the things I have. I want to be grateful for the blessings God is bestowing upon me. And that is important. It is important to do those things, but I don't want you to do that this week. I want to challenge you in a little bit different way. I want you to be thankful for what they have. I want you to be thankful for what other people have. The person that you're jealous of, I want you to express gratitude for them. If you can, expre if you can express that gratitude to them, even better. Because now you're thinking differently. Now you are able to acknowledge God's favor and his presence in the lives of others. Now you are able to acknowledge that God created them just like he created you and me. And he is blessing them in this season of their life. And once you can do that and you can think about that a little bit differently, I think that the way jealousy interacts with you will be much, much, much different. I think it will be eliminated. And you also have to think about this as well. What did they have to get to? What did they have to go through to get to that point? Yeah, they got a good relationship now, but was there harm or abuse in their past? What have they had to walk through to get to that point? Did they lose a job before they got the job that they have now? What type of sacrifices did they make? Can you think about that? Can you be grateful for the journey they have been on to this point in their lives. Can you be thankful for that? That is what I would challenge you to do this week. I gotta do it myself. Instead of being jealous of the person with the nice car in the parking lot, I gotta be thankful for that person and the journey they have gone to to get them to that point or simply God's blessing in their favor in their lives. I've got to be thankful for that. I think you do too. Final question as you leave today. What would our lives look like if we could eliminate this internal enemy, if we could get it under control, if we could not let it dominate our thoughts and our feelings, what would it look like? I think, I think it would look like you becoming an encourager. 
Because if you can acknowledge the favor in others' lives, now you can step to them and you can be that encouraging presence instead of the person that's always got their arms folded and who's looking through a furrowed brow at what other people had that you don't. Now you can step to them and you can say, I'm so happy with what God's doing in your life. I'm so thankful. How did this happen? Tell me the story. I want to lift you up. I want to support you. You could be that person. Maybe for the first time in your life, you could feel real joy because now you don't have this jealous spirit about you. You can view the world and you can view the way God blesses people in a completely different light, in a completely different way. But I think ultimately, a burden upon your soul will be lifted because you won't have to feel this anymore. You won't have to be suspicious. You don't have to be bitter. You don't have to be angry. There doesn't have to be any division, any separation between you and God. You can close the gap today. I know for some of you, you came in today with a gap already present in your life, a gap between you and God. There's separation. You don't know him, you don't trust him yet. You've heard a little bit about him, you're not quite there yet. And I get that. I was the same way. About eight years ago, I felt that gap, I felt that separation. So when I first started coming to church for the first time in my life, period. None of it really made sense to me, but I knew that there was a void in my life. I knew that there was a hole. And I tried to fill it with everything girls, relationships, sex, cars, status, my job. I found my identity and my worth in every single thing except God. And then somebody invited me to church and I came. I started to learn a little bit more. I started to learn about the gospel. I heard about what a man named Jesus Christ did for me and what he did for my family, what he did for my brothers and my parents. I heard that Jesus was allowed to suffer and be mocked and be tortured and be beaten and be bloodied. And ultimately he was nailed to a cross. He was killed and he died as a way to take the penalty for my sins. And when he died, he rose again three days later, conquering the pen of of sin and death. And when I heard this, it changed my life forever because I was told if you walk into this relationship, like you can have a relationship with God because of the sacrifice. And I remember when I made that decision, I remember when I made that decision to close that gap eight years ago, I was sitting in that section in the balcony right there. Remember what I was wearing? I was wearing a purple V-neck sweater with black, white, and purple Air Maxes. I look fantastic. <laughs> but that was when, the, that was when everything made sense for me. And I don't know where you're at today. I don't know where your head's at. I don't know where your heart and your spirit's at. But I would encourage you to not wait one more minute to close that gap with God and experience the closeness and experience the peace that you can have. Get this internal enemy out of there. Fill your life with God instead of the deepest desires and the deepest covetous nature of your heart. So I'm going to lead you in a prayer right now. You take these words, you make them your own. And if you've already prayed this prayer, you already have a relationship with Christ, I'm begging, I'm pleading with you. Pray for the person next to you who's about to make this decision. This is the way that you can serve them right now. Let's pray. Father, I I come to you broken. I come to you as somebody who has made mistakes. I realize what I've done and I am asking you for forgiveness, Father. Father, today I acknowledge what you did for me on the cross. I acknowledge that you have conquered death. You've conquered the penalty of sin. 
And Father, today I'm telling you that I wanna walk with you. I wanna leave my old ways behind. And Father, I know I'm gonna continue to mess up. I'm gonna continue to make mistakes. I will not be perfect, but I just want you. I don't want this gap anymore. I don't want this division. All I want is unity with you, God. I'm asking for your forgiveness. I'm asking for this today in your precious holy name. Amen. If you prayed that prayer with us today, whether you are at this campus or whether you are online, one of our multi-sites, micro-sites, they are celebrating in heaven. We want to celebrate with you right now. Can we give God glory for what he's doing in these people's lives today? If you are with us in one of the physical locations in Emmanuel, we want to put a gift in your hand if you prayed this prayer. It's a New Believer's New Testament Bible. There's no better way to get to understand God and learn how you can align your life with His ways. Go to the back of the auditorium to the location where you're at. We've got New Believer's tables, people ready to receive you and support you. If you are online, drop us a note in social media, the Facebook, Instagram, comments, email us, whatever, and we will put one of these in your hand. Can we give God glory one more time for what He's doing today? This has been an honor and a privilege and I would love to pray for you as we close today. Father, thank you so much for each and every single person who has joined us today. Thank you for their families. Thank you so much that they were able to worship you and that we could all worship you together. Father, as we leave today, I ask that you help us to battle this internal enemy proactively. Help us to not be passive. Help us to be grateful. Help us to trust in you. Help us to take a different perspective. And Father, I ask as we leave today, that you help us to make the choice to be grateful, not for only what we have, but what for others have. And help us know that you are always riding with us in our battle against these internal enemies. Father, it is in your name that we humbly pray. Amen. God bless you. See you next week. Bring a friend.